God, thank you uh, just for your word. Thank you that it speaks to us, that your spirit uses it and shapes our lives with it and, and gives us direction and guidance. So God, I pray right now, Father, that you would meet us as we look into your words, God, your word right now, that my words would be your words, Father, that you would lead and guide in what I've studied this week and what you've given me to say, but may we not just be hearers, but may we be doers of the word, Father, as your spirit empowers us and leads us and guides it. Pray in son's Christ's name, so your son's name, amen. All right. Oh. We okay? Okay. Well, I want to ask you, start by this morning asking, what would your life, what do you think your life would look like if you knew you only had six months to live? If you only had six months to live, what would your life look like? And I'm sure most of us would probably, uh, what that time would mean would making the most of spending time with the people that are closest to us, the, the people that are most important to us. We say we would really invest in them. We would spend time with our family, with our kids, with our spouse, with our extended family, brothers and sisters, different things like that. I know that's what I, when every, anybody ever asked that kind of question, I say that too. And by the way, we're still doing this little thing where I, there's little pieces of paper in front of you uh, that if you want to take notes that you can fill, it's a fill in the blank thing. If you want to, feel free to fill in. You have to turn around and get one, I think, if you're in the front row. Um, but if you want to do that, uh, please feel free to do that. And if you need one, there should be extras all over the, all over the place. Um, Yet here's the thing that I found as I was thinking about that question, something popped into my head, something popped into mind. I said, as right and wonderful as that sounds, that we would, okay, I got six months to live. I'm going to spend it with family. I'm going to spend it with the people that are closest with me. As followers of Jesus, what are we to do then with the words that are recorded in Luke that say this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's a little impact on that question then, doesn't it? I mean, what Jesus is really saying here, he's not saying that in order to be a follower, you need to turn and start hating your wife and hating your kids. That's not, that's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here is that we are to be faithful in prioritizing him and his mission above everything else that we value most. I mean, this is the high calling of being a disciple. This is the high call of following Jesus, that he is more important, that my wife knows my wife knows that I love Jesus more than her. And probably that's one of the most, she would probably tell you that's one of the most reassuring things in our marriage, to know that she's second, that Jesus is more important. I value Jesus more than her. So this is a high calling that God has, Jesus has called us to in, in following him. And if you remember, if you, so what we're talking about, we've been talking about what it means to be ready for, for Jesus. When, if Jesus, when Jesus returns, what could be at any time. Um, 
But my question to you, us, is how would our answer be different to that, how we would live out our last six months if we were thinking about that? How would we make the most of not only the time that we have in those six months, but how would we make the most of everything that we've been given, all the gifts that we have, all the skills and the resources we have? How would we make the most of that, t- of that time for the kingdom? How would we make the most of our money, our, our talents, everything? How would we make the most of that? Because I think we would definitely want to, lo- I know we would want to be with our loved ones. But as disciples, we're seeing that the most important thing is the kingdom. Our mission is the most important thing. So we've been talking about the last few sermons about how, how the importance of being ready for the second coming of Jesus, which we, I just said could happen at any time, and how our, this, the mindset that he's been talking about should impact the way that we live our lives. Now, this morning, he's been talking through some parables. This morning, we're coming to the parable of the talents. Many of you are very familiar with this parable. This parable of the talents, really, it's, mu- it's very much like, it looks like the one that we looked at last time. Remember, the, if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the parable of the ten virgins. Okay, remember they, were, they needed to be ready for the, bride, the bridegroom to come. Yet, though they both, they, yet both of these parables have to do with the second coming of Jesus, where the parable of the ten versions emphasizes the importance of being prepared, totally being ready for Jesus' return, this story, or this parable, puts the emphasis on prioritizing our lives, how we are, how we are to prioritize everything that we do with what we have and what we've been giving, how we prioritize the way we live our life. That's what this parable has to do with, okay? So the big idea of this parable is the number one thing on your little sheet there. It says, being ready for the return of Jesus means being faithful to make the most of what we have been given for the sake of the kingdom, okay? This is the whole big idea of this sermon, of this of what he's talking about here, okay? Being ready for the return of Jesus means being faithful to make the most of what we have been given for the sake of the kingdom. So let's look at this. Let's check this parable out and see what it says about how we are to do this. Now remember, keep in mind, we talked about this before, what parables are. As we go along, as we're reading this, you got to remember, a parable, remember, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And oftentimes it it includes hyperbole or exaggeration uh, in order to really just kind of get its point across. So we got to remember not to go, that would never happen like that, or that seems kind of odd. It's supposed to be that way. Okay, it's supposed to seem like that's outlandish. That's okay when we see that kind of stuff, okay? So let's start by looking at verses 14 and 15 of this parable. He says, for it will be like this, a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. So Jesus is saying here to be ready for his second coming. It's like a man who goes away. He's going on this journey, but before he goes, before he heads out on this long journey, he entrusts his servants with large sums of money. Okay, that's what a talent, that's what he's talking about, a talent here, okay? Now, a talent back then, believe it or not, this is where the hyperbole comes in. The talent is what a laborer might hope to earn maybe like in half of his lifetime. Okay, it was a huge, a huge amount of money. 
So he's giving his servant this massive amount of money. And each is, so what this is trying to tell us is that each of these servants has been giving a tremendous responsibility. Okay, this is a small thing. Hey, would you watch over the house? Would you, I'm giving you lots of money here to take care of, okay? And what really seems to stand out, I don't know about for you, but what stood out for me, the first thing when I ever first even read this parable, parable was the difference in the amounts of money that he gives to the different servants. See, he gives five talents to one. So think about it. If a talent is worth about what a servant would see in half of their lifetime, that's a lot of money. A lot of money, okay? So he gives five to one, to another he gives two, to another he gives one. And we see that this amount was given, see what he says there? He's given according to their what? To their abilities, okay? This is why he gives it. He gives it to according to their ability. Obviously, what we're seeing here is this man recognized different skills or abilities in each servant. And he, what he did is he matched the responsibility given to them accordingly, okay? I says, you see, Mech, you would be good with this much. You'd be good with this, okay? And really, what this is meant to teach us, we're supposed to see here is that in his kingdom, and here's number two, in his kingdom, God uses people differently, okay? God uses people differently according to their gifts, skills, and resources he has given them. Okay? That's the significance of the talent. That's what it's about. It's not about, some people would say, this is about the money that God gives us. No, it's about that, but it's about so much more. It's really this idea of what Jesus says back in Luke 12. He says this, should be up there. It says, for everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who's been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And here's the deal. We all know this. We know this in our heads when we talk about it. We, as followers of Jesus, have all been given much by God, haven't we? We have been given much by God. I mean, first of all, every true follower of Jesus is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and therefore we have this ability to, this blows my mind, we have the ability to know the fullness of God, and we have the ability to have God's wisdom and power. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the fact as a follower of Jesus, we have a relationship with the God of the universe. And we're able to understand a bit of his will. We're able to understand some of the wisdom that comes from him. I, I know if you're anything like me, I've been a Christian almost all my life. We forget that kind of, how amazing that is. The resources that we have simply in our relationship with God is amazing. And not just the resources, but just what we have in general. The joy, the beauty of all that is just simply amazing. Well, the reality is that we've all been given so much. And we, here's one of the things is we all, if, if you don't know this, you should know this, that every single follower of Jesus has at least one spiritual gift. At least one that we're given to be used in the service of the body of Christ and to build up his kingdom. We all are. That's just one of the things. In the book of Romans, Paul says this, for as, one, as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, okay? The parts of the body don't have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. 
If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our service. To the one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. And the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Are you seeing what Paul's saying here? You have a gift. Use it. Don't let it go to waste. I have given you at least one. The Holy Spirit has given you at least one spiritual gift. And here's the interesting thing. The interesting thing is what I like what he says there. There's part of many members do not all have the same function. This would be a terrible, terrible church if we all had the same one gift. It'd be terrible. Because we would not be able to build up the body. It's just like that whole illustration. What if our whole body was an eyeball? That's just stupid. That's just crazy to think. I can see great things, but I can't touch anything. I can't smell anything. So we understand that we are all a part of this. And here's, the, and here's the thing too. When we don't use our gifts, when you don't use your gift, I miss out. When I don't use my gift, you miss out on the fullness of the body of Christ. We are all to be using our gifts to build up the body of Christ, to encourage one another, to have the proclamation of the word of God go out everywhere. We are to be using our gifts. I would encourage you, if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, if you know you're a follower of Jesus and you don't know what your spiritual gift is, I would encourage you to go find it. Figure out what, you can take spiritual gift surveys online. Really not a problem, Lana. We'll probably put that, we need to talk about that. We're going to put that, we'll put that up on the website. I meant to tell you that. We're going to do that. We're going to put a link to a couple of spiritual gift surveys that you can take to give you an idea of what your gift might be, okay? Not a hundred foolproof thing, but they can give you a gift because you really don't know what your gift is until you start using it, until you start trying things out, okay? So that's one of the things he's given us, but he's also given us much in terms of resources and abilities. Just think of all that we have at our disposal. We have financial resources, vehicles, technology, homes, all these, so much more that we have that are resources that are meant to be used for the glory of God and to building up his kingdom. That's what they're there for. I mean, here's some other things. Some of you can cook. Some of you can play an instrument or sing. You can teach. You can work with your hands. You're athletic. You love to volunteer. Here's the point. The point is that we have all been given certain gifts, spiritual gifts, but also skills and resources by the Lord. And here's the number three on your sheet there. And we should be continually asking him for wisdom in how to use them in order to further his kingdom and bring him glory. This is our responsibility as a follower of Christ, is to constantly be asking him, God, how, okay, how, to be continually asking him for wisdom, how to use the gifts, the skills, the resources to further his kingdom and bring him glory. This is our responsibility. I don't know about you, but I've been doing this most of my life. My problem is, and I know others is, oftentimes, though, I look at what other people have. I look at their gifts. I look at their skills, and I look at their resources that they have, and often turn, turn feel like, oh, but I just don't have as much to offer. I just don't have as much to offer. I can't do what that person, I just can't do that. And they're so effective in what they do. I just, I just, I just can't do that at all. 
And so we think, I just can't have, I just can't serve the Lord very well. Let me be very, very honest with you about that. That is a lie from the pit of hell. That's pretty strong language, I know. But it is a lie from the pit of hell that you cannot be used in a powerful way for the kingdom of God. It might not be upfront. Some of us would have been gifted with a big mouth. Okay? Others of you, you don't. That's why I'm saying it's so important that we know our gifts and we start to use them and we start to exercise them. That's what the point of this parable, which we're going to see as, as we go. The point of this story that he's talking about here is not to compare ourselves to others, what they have to offer the Lord, but we, we'll, what we're going to see in a minute, to make the most of what we do have, knowing that this is what pleases the Lord. Not saying, well, I'm not going to be as good, so I'll try a little bit here. No, I'm going to use what God has given me to please the Lord, because the reality is that we are not all equal in gifting. We're not. We just aren't. We're not all gifted in skills. We're not all, we don't all have access to the same resources, okay? Yet we are to be equal in our effort, okay? We're to be equal in our effort in terms of how we use or make the most of what we have been given to serve the Lord. That's what this parable is about. So let's look how these servants make the most of what they've been given. Look at verses 16 through 18. He says, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So we see, we see that two of the servants, obviously recognizing the confidence, they, they saw that, okay, my master has confidence in me, okay? So I'm going to use this. I'm going I'm to do what I can. I'm going to use this money effectively, okay? I'm going to use the, the gift that I've been given, this talent, I'm going to use it effectively. They saw, and these guys, it shows they somehow double. I mean, here's the hyperbole again. <laughs> five talents. To double five talents back then, they, people would have thought, How's that possible? That's a kajillion whatevers. They would have thought that's crazy, but that's what these guys did. And they did it through some, they give it, did it through some kind of shrewd investing. It doesn't tell us how they did it, but they did it. And number four here on your sheet, it says, you see, these two servants are willing to take the risks necessary to make a considerable return on whatever their investment was. They were willing to take a risk, all right? Not so with this third servant. He wasn't willing to take any risks at all. What does he do? He just takes the money and goes and buries it in the ground. Oh, this will be good. Nothing will happen. It'll be, it'll be all right. You know, I think here's, I think really you and I are probably a lot like, more like this third servant than we realize, the truth is, taking risks is risky, <laughs> right? Taking risks is risky. Even though, here's the thing, even though you might know what your spiritual gift or gifts are, and you might be fully aware of the resources that you have and how they can be used to further the kingdom, you might be totally on track with all that. 
What, but what the problem could be is if we do not do, if we end up doing what the third guy did as a third servant, bury it in the ground by either selfishly keeping it to ourselves. Look what I got. Look what I got. Oh, I'm, this, this is going to make my life happy. I'm going to hold on to it for me. Okay, whether it's money, whether it's resources, whether it's talents, I'm going to use it for myself. Or we're afraid. We keep it to ourselves out of fear. What if I fail? Oh my gosh, what if God gave me the gift of teaching? Ah, I hate getting up in front of people. That doesn't mean that's what he's going to call you to do. I've told you guys before, I remember back when I was a kid, I was in the kids' choir in my old church. I had such stage fright, I had to hide behind the kid that was in front of me. I was so afraid of being up front. And all through junior high and high school, being afraid of opening my mouth, what I might say, how people might judge me. Look what the heck I'm doing now. And I've got to be willing to say, you know what? I'm just going to use that for God and let, it, let God use it however he wants to, okay? That it's important we understand here the implications of both being uh, faithful to, the, to use to make the most of what we've been given for the kingdom and are failing to do so. It's really important we understand the importance of both, okay? And with the remainder of this parable, Jesus is going to do that. Help us under, understand the implications of being faithful and of not being faithful, okay? And first he addresses those who have been faithful. Look at verses uh, 19 to 23. He says, Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more, saying, Master, you, deliver, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who had two, two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Well, first of all, saying the, having the master, the, saying that the master of the servant came after a long time, we got to remember, don't, don't miss out on all the little things a lot of times in these parables. Because when Jesus is telling this parable saying, after the master came for a long time, what Jesus is alluding to here is that his second coming is not going to be in conjunction with the destruction of the temple. Remember we talked about that. They all thought when the temple's destroyed, that's when Jesus, that's when the new heaven and new, new earth and all that stuff. Okay, He's saying, no, it's going to be a while. You don't know when it's going to be, but he's going to come back, but not right now. Next, in saying that he came to settle accounts with his servants, assumes really that the master expected his money to have been put to use. He wouldn't have said, he would have just said, oh, the masters came back and saw his servants and eventually they came in and gave it his money back. No, he came back to settle accounts with them. That assumes, listen, I gave you something. I expect you to do something with it. And once again, this implies that as fathers of Jesus, we are to be about being faithful to make the most of what we have been given for the kingdom. Now, notice also the commendation the master gives to these two servants. It's the same. 
He gives them the same commendation. Even though one ended up with this larger amount of money, he could have said, wow, I can't believe how much you gave. And it would have been nice if even I gave you less, you would have made as much. No, he didn't say that at all. He said the same thing to both of them. The point is not that one's accomplishments were more valuable, not that the guy that had five, whoa, you're way better. Yeah, okay, so you're more valuable. You're more important. No, that's not the point at all. The point is that both of these guys did what was expected of them. They were responsible with what was given to them. Notice the specifics of the commendation he says he re- they received. Look at number five on your notes there. It says, their rewards for their faithfulness, what he says is, first, it's even more responsibility. He gives them even more. He doesn't just say, thanks, go rest, go take a vacation, relax. You don't have to do anything for me before, even ever if you don't want. That was good. No, he gives them more responsibility. So, I, so often I think we wonder, why isn't God using me in bigger ways? You ever thought that? Why isn't God using me in ways that I could see his, his kingdom be impacted or I can experience the, all the joy of using my gifts and my talents? Well, here's the thing. The truth is that God longs to use us. He used, longs to use every single one of us in ways that we never imagined. Like I said, it won't be on, maybe in front of big crowds or it might not be anything that has a big bang to it. But he longs to use every single one of us. Yet he's not going to give us opportunities to use our gifts and our skills and our resources that he has given us for the kingdom in big ways if we have not been faithful to use them in smaller ways. He's just not. It's not because he's being cruel. Not because he's punishing us. Because he's gonna, he wants us to learn to use those things. And as we learn to use his gifts, we rely on him more and we rely on him more. Then he's going to continue to use us more and more. And here's one of the ways that I think, personally, over the years, being involved in church in my whole, in my, basically my whole life is where I see this played out probably the most for followers of Jesus is in the area of money. It was probably the biggest one. The biggest one is in finances. If there's an area that we are going to be prone to want to take things into our own hands and really control that, it's our finances, right? Especially living here where we live, where every penny counts, Okay. Yet the Bible tells us that our obedience, that out of our obedience and our surrender to the Lord over all that we are and over all that we have, we are to sacrificially, cheerfully, willingly, as an act of worship, give financially to the work of the Lord. We're not going to get into a tithing sermon here. But whether you use the Old Testament standard of 10% of your income as a guideline, which, by the way, is a really good place to start. It's not commanded, but that's a really good place to start. Or if you feel led to give more. Here's number six. The amount we give to the work of the Lord, both to the church and to other ministries, should be determined in the light of the self-giving standard set by Jesus. By the self giving standards set by Jesus. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said to the church in Corinth. He said, for this, said this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, 
by his poverty might become rich. Here's the truth, you guys. The truth is that whatever a person does with their money, the reality is whatever the th- what you do with your money says a tremendous amount of how you understand God's demonstration of his lavish generosity and grace towards you. Because money is such an important thing to us, and we take such, it it can be something we guard so much, it's going to really help us understand where our heart is. Remember, Jesus, Jesus said you can't serve both God and money. You just can't. So what we do with our money really shows what we, how we understand God's demonstration of how lavish and how generous and how good he is to us. If we're holding it back in like that, we're not getting it. If you're holding your money and you're saying, wait, whoa, 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 wait a second. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give much because you know what? We're really tight. You know, I, I can't imagine giving this month because, you know, things are really tight. So we're going to hold back and wait and see what happens next. You're not getting it. You're missing it. You're not understanding how incredibly generous and wonderful and, I mean, his grace has been lavished onto us. And oftentimes we hold back going, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Because if I do that, what if I go into the hole? I got to tell you, I can, you, many of you can probably stand up and give testimonies to this as well, of times where you've committed to give to the Lord and the Lord has taken care of you in ways that you just couldn't imagine. I mean, years when we first got married, my wife and I determined how much we were going to give every week. And we said, no matter what, that's the first check that got written. No matter what, no matter what the bills were, no matter what, that, that got written first. We've never been in want. We've had groceries show up on our doorstep when we had no money left. But we've never, God has been so ridiculously great and generous to us. Couldn't afford the rent that month. Uh, we're going to be faithful. God, I mean, if God is so ridiculously generous, we're going to give back and not worry that he's not going to take care of us. And we've seen it over and over and over and over again. So I would challenge you and I would encourage you to take that to heart, to really think about how good God has been and how generous and let your financial giving to the church, to other ministries, other not be determined by how your budget works out or even determined by, oh, that's a good idea, that's a good idea, but really out of the generosity of, that God has lavished on you, the grace that he's lavished on you. Let that be the thing that determines your giving, okay? Number seven, second thing, along with being more, with more responsibilities and opportunities to use our gifts and skills and resources, we get to enter into the joy of our master. He says, enter in. You did a great job. Now, enter into the joy of your master. What this means is experiencing true inner delight, this gladness, this joy, this something that bubbles up, not because of our circumstances, but because of the joy of the Lord is in us. And who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to be able to experience joy in the midst of sorrow? And in the midst of a difficult life, he's saying, no, come in. You've done what you've been faithful to do with what I've given you. There's going to be joy now. You're going to experience joy like you never knew. And that's what's a beauty. That's how this fights against the whole prosperity gospel. 
never says, well, well done, well done with all you, I gave you. Now I'm going to give you this amount of money more. Your cars are going to get nicer. Your house is going to get bigger. Your, your health is going to stay good. No. What does he say? What's our, what's our, what do we get? Joy. The master's joy. It just, what could be better than that? It is amazing. I mean, we sometimes, I don't know if you ever see that on the internet or the paper. Sometimes you see or read about things like 10 things that you need to do or 10 places you need to go before you die. You ever seen those articles before? I've seen those places you, you've got to go and it's like Tahiti or all these incredible, but you got to go, you got to Machu Picchu, you got to go here before you die. Okay. Going there, will you experience some joy in these things? Yeah. You'll experience some joy in doing these things, yet there is no greater joy this side of heaven than what we experience when we are faithful to make the most of what has been given to us for the sake of the kingdom. No greater joy. Those 10 places, you can go to them all. They'll pale in comparison to going, I am doing what God wants me to do. I'm using my gifts. I'm using my talents, my skills, my money for his kingdom. Generously, willingly, as an act of worship. There's joy. That's where the joy comes in. Okay? Now let's turn to the focus of the story that goes now to the servant who was not faithful. Look what he, look what he says. Well, he wasn't faithful with what he's given. Verses 24 to 27. He also, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you, had, you were you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what is my own with interest. Okay, so we see that the servant takes this one talent, okay, and instead of investing it, even sending it to a banker, Okay, which by this time, banks were kind of a new thing. They were just kind of getting started back then, and they would give interest. He still wouldn't do that. He simply buries it in the ground. And what, is it, what do you think his motivation? What was his motivation for burying it in the ground? Yeah, he was afraid. Fear was the thing that motivated him to not do anything. You see, he saw his master as this ruthless man, when in all actuality, he was fair and he was just. And really, this really get, makes me think about how oftentimes the world sees our God. Oftentimes, his fairness and how he, how he judges, how he, how, and fairness and justice and how he judges sin and how he, do, how he judges rebellion, oftentimes, man, that, these people see that. That's ruthless. How could God do that? I've been reading through the Old Testament in my, in my morning reading and reading how when they went in to, they went in to conquer the land, Back after Moses said they went in to conquer the land, it was just obliteration of people. Absolute obliteration of people. And it wasn't because, you know, God just wanted to kill people. He had promised this land to his people, but at the same time, too, these people were vile, evil, rebellious people. And no more was the Lord going to stand for that. So people in the world go, how could that be? How could that possible? So that's the way he was looking at God. He was looking at God. If God's not going to be a nice guy, then forget it. 
I'm not, if my master's not going to be a nice guy, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm going to, I am going to play it safe here, okay? I am going to be, I'm going to play it safe. Number eight, because this servant had an improper view of his master, instead of being freed up to take a risk with his money for fear of retribution, he instead avoids any risk and decides to play it safe. That makes sense. Instead of being freed, knowing that, oh, I know my, my master is, he'll deal with me fairly. No, I see, I don't think he's a nice guy. So I'm going to be afraid. But look, what, but look what Jesus says are the consequences of playing it safe, which could seem like a good idea. I don't know about you. Sometimes I've seen risks that I should take and gone, no, and wished I would have done it. So often wished I wouldn't have done it. Whether it's just some fun thing or something for God, I wish I would have done that. But look at the consequences, verses 28 to 30. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into outer darkness in that place where will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. Got some consequences going for this guy for sure. So the third servant, his talent is taken and it's given to the one that has 10. Now this harkens back to chapter 13 where, remember in answering the question of the disciples, why are you talking in parables, Jesus? People don't understand what you're saying. Why do you do that? Remember what he says to them? For the one who has more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And what this is telling us, what this is telling us is number nine on your sheet there is what Jesus is saying is that in our journey as his followers, our understanding of being faithful to make the most of what we have been given for the sake of the kingdom is meant to grow and mature. Our understanding is meant to grow and mature. We're meant to move forward. Yet what he's saying here is that yet for those to continually remain ignorant in their faithfulness and not make the most of what we're given, they're not only going to remain ignorant if they're not, I'm just not going to, I'm just going to close my eyes to the needs. I'm just going to huddle up here in my house. I'm just going to make everything. He's saying to what's been given to them, he says, your ignorance is going to grow even more. So often we wonder why, why is, why is so-and-so's faith just seem like dead? Or why does my faith seem dead? It's because we haven't used what we were given. And God says, okay, you're not going to use it. You're going to lose it. Okay. Spiritually speaking, a person really either gains or loses. Okay. We either advance or decline. How many of you ever learned a second language? Third, some of you third, fourth, and all that stuff. I've had to learn a couple, living in two different countries, I've had to learn, try to learn languages, and I gotta tell you, I'm terrible. Terrible at it. Um, but in order, you all know this, in order to keep learning the nuances of a language, you must what? You gotta keep using it. You've gotta keep using that, or you're just gonna use it. I, 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 went, to, I went to language school in Switzerland to learn German. I can 
I can give you eins, zwei, drei. That's about it these days. A little bit, a little bit more, okay? I, you know, I took language school when I was in the Dominican, living in the Republic, the Republic you know. Hola, Taco Bell. You know, I'm just, I don't, don't use it. I don't use it, so I don't even remember. And I, although I even got conversational somewhat in both of those languages. I, I, I got nothing anymore, Okay. Once we stop using a language, we not only stop learning, but we begin to forget, okay? We forget what we already knew. The same is true about our spiritual life. This is the last one here, number 10. The more we are faithful to make the most of what we have been given for the sake of the kingdom, the more we experience his goodness, okay? And the more we experience his goodness, the more we crave being faithful. The more we crave being faithful to him. But you know what? The opposite is also true. The more we neglect to be faithful with the things that he has given us, the less we become aware of his goodness because we're not functioning as we are supposed to function. We become, what is this all about? The Bible reading gets boring. You know, prayer becomes boring. It's more of something I just have to do to check off my list. If I do that, if I do it at all, He says, this is what happens. It's as if that desire begins to just shrivel up and go away. Okay, now Jesus ends this parable in verse 30 with this incredible imagery. He doesn't just say, oh, bummer, you didn't do that. He says, he gives this imagery really of hell. It's this picture of of torment and sorrow. What this is, is this is a reference to the fate of those who are ultimately not true followers of Jesus when he returns. And I think, we've said this before, we're going to be shocked who's in heaven and who's not. Shocked, I believe. Because my, you know, the Bible says that you will know a tree by its fruit, right? Are we producing fruit? Apostle Paul had much to say about this. He had a lot to say about being faithful to make the most of what we've been given uh, for the sake of the kingdom. The church in Ephesus, he said this. He warned them, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. You see, Paul knew, Paul knew how easy it was to get caught into living selfishly and drifting away from faithful obedience to God. Why do you think so often, I think one of the big reasons that Christianity is so soft in America is our abundance. It's our abundance makes it easy to not have to rely on God. When are you the most reliant on God is when things are going sideways, right? When you don't have the resources, when I don't have the resources anymore, I need God. And that's what Paul's saying here. Listen, be careful. Be careful how you live. I've given you resources. I've given you talents. I've given you abilities. I've given you all these things. Be careful. Don't neglect them. Don't ignore it. Because your desire for to use that will shrivel up. You will not experience true joy at all. And pretty soon you're going to find yourself living very selfishly. You might say, how can I be selfish? I don't have a big house. I don't have a big nice car. I don't have... It doesn't matter. We're still living selfishly. We're holding back. We're not using these things faithfully. faithfully. To the church in Corinth, he said this. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. 
always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing, I love that, nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Nothing. No sacrifice you make, no, thing you, no fear you stand up in front of because you know this is how God wants you to live. Nothing is going to be useless in God's world. I want to encourage you as we close here, I want to encourage you to go into this new year. Let's go into this new year asking God on a regular basis for the wisdom and the courage to be faithful, to make the most of what we have been given for the sake of the kingdom. Because here's one thing I can guarantee you. If you make that a true prayer of your heart, God, help me to be wise. Help, help me to be courageous to use what you have given me for the kingdom. I can guarantee you it will change the way that you even see your gifts, your talents, your resources. You're going to see them in a whole different light, a whole different way. And he will allow you to experience a joy that you never thought possible as you use those talents and gifts and resources for his purpose and his purpose first. Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful once again for your word, how it speaks to our most inner being, Father. And I know I have been convicted by this this week as I think about how, God, I have, if I have truly been faithful to make the most of everything, make the most of my time, make the most of my resources, the, the, my finances, my, the gifts and the talents you've given me, Father. I, I confess to you right now that I know that I've not at times been wise, as Paul tells us to be. I pray for us as a church that you would help us to be wise, to make the most of what you have given us for the kingdom, and that we would then in turn experience great joy. Thank you for that promise. Thank you for so how much you have given us. Help us to be faithful stewards with those talents. In Christ's name, amen.